When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I don't know what those white people in this country feel, but I can only include what they feel from the state of their institutions. Now, this is the evidence. You want me to make an act of faith, risking myself, my wife, my woman, my sister, my children, on some idealism which you assure me exists in America, which I have never seen. You're listening to Black History for White People, a podcast where we educate, resource, and challenge white people about black history. I'm Brad, and on today's show are my co-hosts, Katina and Garen. Today, we interview Harry Eady, who is the director of the Denton African American Scholarship Foundation. You've heard this several times over our episodes, but we always give money to a black or brown owned organization or business. And our first 10 episodes, we wanted that to be the Denton African American Scholarship Foundation. So we talked to Harry about what the foundation is, what the money's going to be used for. He's also the founder of the Denton Black Film Festival. So we talk a little bit about the intersection of those two organizations. And we also also discuss education within the black and brown community. We hope you enjoy the discussion. All right. So we are here with Mr. Harry Eady, who is the president of the Denton African American Scholarship Foundation, and he is the founder of the Denton Black Film Festival. Hey, Harry. Hello. How are you doing this morning, Katina? Good. How are you? I'm doing fine. Are you going to sing to me this morning? No. <laughs> but I'll do one of those virtual events at the um, Film Fest. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I want to talk about, like, because when I think about you and Miss Linda, I just think about, like, black excellence and everything that you all are bringing to Denton because there is definitely, like, a, a drought here um, when it comes to um, a focus on black arts and uh, creative creativity and um, innovation um, not that it doesn't exist here but it's not it's not mobilized mm-hmm. and it's not acknowledged mm-hmm. um, and you guys you and miss Linda and your team which I'm a part of I'm right. so blessed to be a part of um, you help to mobilize voices um, in academics for the scholarship foundation like bringing um, just highlighting our kids in the in in Denton, who, and there are many who have um, who who basically exceed academically, but also like the way the film festival, thousands of people come from all over the literal world to mm-hmm. this festival, mm-hmm. and how how we started off with 
you know, what was the first year's attendance? Uh, 800. And uh, then last year, this eight, this year, it was... It was 8,900. Yeah, and we have celebrities coming from all over the world. I mean, it's like crazy to be rubbing elbows with people that you see on TV right. and all these amazing filmmakers. So let's roll back. First, well, we'll talk your about... Point. Yeah. Uh, I talked to, I don't know how many people have seen Lovecraft Country. Yes. Well, I talked to one of the actors in Lovecraft Country yesterday. Shut up. Yeah. I and, love that show so much. And so I didn't know that, but Woo. she uh, was in the scene in uh, Oklahoma. Uh, she played the mother. Oh, yeah. Where the house caught on fire. Yes. And, and so uh, her name is Regina Taylor. So that was that was pretty interesting conversation. Wow. Yeah. That is awesome. Okay, so I don't know how we're going to get all this in, in an episode because, one, you have such an amazing life and um, just so many amazing stories and just how you navigate um, for Denton and just like in representation of our culture and. I mean, there's so much, there's so many layers, but let's start by talking about you a little bit, your story. Who is Harry Eadie? Yeah, so I, I grew up in North Carolina and a uh, little small town, mm -hmm. 12,000 people, and uh, I always felt like I was not in the right place, mm -hmm. right? Because things were a little slower, I was really curious, and so I uh, was a first generation uh, college. Uh, attendee mm -hmm. and uh, went to school in Indiana, it's a little small school. Um, then later uh, came to Texas uh, to do graduate work at UNT. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's really been a life of discovery for me. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, I've been in the business world for, you know, 30 plus years um, in the computer and software industry. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, my heart was always in the arts. I, I uh, spent a lot of time with uh, artists when I was in school, even though I was a business major. Yeah. So almost all my friends were in the arts, right? And so uh, that's really kind of a synopsis of kind of, you know, how I got to Denton uh, from Indiana and then, you know, started to work in the Metroplex. Actually never worked in Denton. You know, I, wow. I, I worked all over the country, but never worked in Denton. I lived here, but, you know, that was it. Yeah, because you travel quite a bit. You're always on the go. So talk to me about, like, what prompted you to get so active in Denton? Like, is that something that you, are you, have you always uh, served um, or had a desire to serve, like, uh, the community in the way that you do? Has it been something that's, like, been a gradual thing? Like, what, what's gotten you to where you are as far as the service? Yeah, so I, that's a really good question. I uh, I grew up in the church. Yes. And and so service became a part of me, right? Absolutely. And, you know, and then when I uh, went to college, I start. I noticed that there were a lot of needs, right? Yeah. And so then I started realizing that um, I could potentially support people. So I never really sought to be a leader. Yeah. I just sought to kind of be in organizations, but. Over time, I began to take on leadership roles, and which is kind of interesting because in college, I mean, in high school, I would have never been considered a leader. Really? Not at all. I would have been probably voted least likely to succeed, right? Wow. And, and so part of that was quiet. Yeah. Uh, but when I, uh, when I went to college, I just said, 
I'll just be who I want to be, right? Mm -hmm. And so then later I decided that if I could serve, I, w I would serve. And so that's what I did. So I, my, my really thing is I love people. I love working with people and just trying to figure out how to help people. It's so interesting that you talk about um, you would have been probably been voted least likely to succeed because that's a whole thing that I think deserves a pause. So many times, and I can identify with what you're saying for my life personally. Mm -hmm. I mean, I excelled academically, but I was also quiet and shy. Mm -hmm. And it's so interesting how black people, um, so many of us have these experiences, especially as we exist in white spaces, where if we're not entertaining people, mm -hmm. if we're not out, if we're not outgoing, and when I say entertaining, I'm talking about on a personal level. If mm -hmm. I'm not making you laugh, if mm -hmm. I'm not, you know, making you feel good about yourself, if if I'm introverted, if I'm quiet, like my middle son is so extremely mm -hmm. quiet, but he's a straight A's, mm -hmm. all honor student, mm -hmm. but he's just quiet, unassuming. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if you're not that funny black guy that everybody can say, I have my funny black guy friend. Um, or if you're not a problem mm -hmm. or, you know, mm -hmm. someone that they would want to criminalize and deem a problem, then it's like you automatically do not fit. Mm -hmm. um, and that's crazy to me mm -hmm. because there's so many like black people that have that story that have gone on to do amazing things. And I'm not talking about America's measure of success. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about, you know. It, our measure as a mm -hmm. as a culture, like what we mm -hmm. deem successful, starting you know small businesses, mm -hmm. serving their community, being leaders in the church, um, just filling those mm -hmm. voids and meeting those needs in small ways and big ways. But there's so many of us. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can think from like Beyonce to um, just somebody who nobody knows their mm -hmm. name mm -hmm. that have that same exact story, mm -hmm. um, and it just makes so much sense that you would just be a part of this um, environment that fosters, like, um, just basically fosters encouragement for, for black youth. Mm -hmm. So talk about that a little bit more. Well, I, you know, again, that's a very good question. I, I know that when I was younger, um, I was smart, really smart. Yeah. But uh, I was really quiet, very shy. I wouldn't talk to anyone. Hmm. Uh, my... Um, one of my high school teachers pulled me over one day and he said, you know, you're a really smart guy, but no one would ever know it, right? Mm -hmm. He said, because you don't want people to know it. Mm -hmm. uh, so there was a part of me that was lazy, you know? I didn't really want uh, people to ask me questions, right? Mm -hmm. And so, but then I realized that if I, you know, if I didn't really try to be the best person that I could be, mm -hmm. then I would suffer, my family would suffer, and my community would suffer. So it was a process, right, to kind of figure out Okay, what, what do I want to do? Uh, I also grew up in a community where there was segregation, right? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, in small southern towns. And so I never really thought about it because I had a, a very uh, supportive black community, right? Insulated kind of. Yeah, so yeah. when I went to school, it was like, it was an all-black school, grades 1 through 12. Uh -huh. And... And when I tell people that, they're like, what? You know, it's one building, right? Okay. You know, but it's, you know, a small town. But then in the seventh grade, I went to an integrated school. Mm. And that was a major shock, yeah, right? Yeah, Just yeah. a major shock for me. And because, you know, I went from being the majority to, I think there were out of maybe 800 students. No, I'm sorry, maybe 500 students. There were maybe seven black students in that wow. middle school. Wow. And we all knew each other because we all came from the black school over to the other school. Yeah. So it, it was really trying to figure out 
you know, how, how do I um, find my way, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's really what a lot of students have trouble with today, regardless of ethnic background. I think high school is brutal, personally. Yes, and middle school for sure. Yeah, and so um, you see children change a lot when they go from elementary school to middle school. Mm -hmm. uh, and my son did, my daughter did. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming most people do. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, it, it's, it's really been a challenge uh, for me to kind of retrain myself, mm -hmm. you know, which I think most of us do. Yeah, so talk about the... Um, scholarship Foundation. Give us a little bit of history and um, just tell us how you came to sure. to work with. So um, there was a uh, the scholarship organization is thirty six years old. Wow! Entering its thirty six year, it was started by a few people through the NAACP. Uh, Eulene Brock was uh, one of the people that were there. Uh, she was asked along with two or three other people to start. Um, an initiative to provide money for students. So the first uh, grant was, um, first scholarship was $250 mm -hmm. uh, to a young lady uh, that I knew. Um, and then over the years, we've awarded over $400,000 to black students to graduate from the Denton High Schools. So the, 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 the largest uh, year of scholarships has been maybe 24,000, 25. Wow. And then, you know, we're averaging right now around 15,000. Awesome. And the uh, funds really come from organizations like yours or individuals, right, who we've been talking to for a number of years. And unfortunately, you know, many of them have, have and are dying, right, because they're, you know, they're older now. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's what has made the scholarship uh, organization so powerful because it's just people giving freely, right? Yeah. Uh, none of us are paid in the scholarship um, organization. So I was tabbed about 13 years ago by Eulene and Fran Morgan to uh, become the president of the foundation. There was a scholarship committee that selected the students, mm -hmm. and we just really, as we found out later, raised money for them to to uh, give to the students. Yeah. And, yeah, and that's that's really kind of what happened. And so today, you know, we're doing quite well. We uh, are working really hard to support students uh, in a powerful way. Uh, we had the scholarship announcement uh, back in April, May, and we uh, were socially distanced. We were able to do some of it. But we awarded 11, no, I'm sorry, seven students this year. Mm -hmm. uh, with around $15,000. And um, Rachel Owusu Odei, Rachel, Rachel Owusu Odei, she was the primary, um, like the primary scholarship recipient this year? Two years ago. Two years ago. Okay, I'm looking at the And then year this then. year we have not loaded that up. Oh, okay. Okay, her name is Adeo Ajudo. And yeah. she's uh, attending Columbia University this year. Mm -hmm. uh, well, she, yes, she's there now. And she's going to major in global health and biology, or biology. Oh, wow. And so she's outstanding. She finished as a valedictorian at Denton High School. Yeah. Um, so we're really proud of her. Uh, we not, not only do we award um, graduating seniors, but we also award 9th, 10th, and 11th graders with a... a um, recognition 
for the academic achievements and and some bond. So so we do that as well. And so 9th, 10th, and 11th graders, right? Mm -hmm. So if you know of anyone and they're doing that, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I have they, a sophomore. Yeah, yeah they, need, they need to be aware of that. <laughs> Absolutely. How I ain't know that? I don't even know how I ain't need, I didn't know that. Yeah. So, yeah, I love um, I love what you guys are doing or what, you know, I'll say what we are doing because, right. you know, I, I'm so blessed and fortunate to kind of work alongside um, you and serve. And um, I just love that here we have something that's been going on for 36 years. Um you know, that spurs our African-American students mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. and specifically focuses on the Denton High Schools. Um, I know some of the recipients through the years. Um, there was a young lady from 2016 that graduated with my oldest son. Her name is Adenawa, and I've known Adenawa since she was in elementary school and just saw, mm-hmm. I mean, this little girl in the fourth grade writing poetry and just blowing mm-hmm. my socks off. And I'm like, you need to marry her. Like, <laughs> when you... <laughs> Because this girl, she's got it going on. And she ends up, she ended up going to Howard. Now she's in, um, no, Harvard. Harvard right. She ended up going to Harvard. And now she's um, looking at, in, in graduate school. Yeah, she's in graduate school, uh, my understanding, in, in, in public administration or public health. But she should be almost finished by now. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, she's about because 22. She, yeah, she was accelerating her uh, academic studies. Oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And she was a Denton High School student. Harry, let me interrupt. I think maybe a lot of our listeners are probably like, um, um, they're probably thinking, why does there have to be a, a scholarship foundation for African Americans? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think maybe some of them are questioning why, you know, why does that even a thing? Why can't there just be scholarship foundations? <laughs> that you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So can you talk a little bit of why? why a foundation like yours mm-hmm. even has to exist? No, I mean, I think that's a good question. I think the fallacy that we all have is that we're all equal and we're all treated equal, mm-hmm. equally. So, um, so that's been a question that people have asked. And so my answer to them is that there are scholarships for everybody. So no one is forced to provide scholarships to really any scholarship organization. It's really based on the needs. I know I was at UNT one time, and there was a, um, there was a uh, it's not a scholarship, but there was a, some funds given to um, albino squirrels. And I thought, is that a thing, right? Well, it was a thing because it was actually an albino squirrel at UNT, right? Yeah. And so they were just giving money. But, but I would say that the, the primary thing, the reason why it's important, if you take a look at, um, if you go to any, any of the uh, ceremonies at the high schools, you'll find that almost none of the students of color receive scholarships. It's just a fact, right? Mm-hmm. So if you if you sit in the audience and you look at those coming down, you may see, oh, I'd say three, maybe two, maybe one. So with the exception of the scholarships that are offered by uh, the foundation, it is very minimal, right? But yet, you know, students of color, black students in particular, um, they are worthy of receiving awards, right? And so I think there was, a, there was a statement made years ago, you know, you need to help yourself, right? So the interesting thing is when people try to help themselves, they're criticized because, well, why are you separated, right? So what we try to do is say, um, 
you know, we're going to try to help those students that, that have qualified. We're going to give them a scholarship. Uh, what I also find interesting is that there are scholarships given to Jewish students, Mm-hmm. Latino students, mm-hmm. Asian American students, and for the most part, nobody even says anything. <laughs> but when it comes to black students, right. there's an outcry. Well, why do you have to separate? Um, and, and so that's it's not an answer, but it is really some thoughts around that. Um, I don't really criticize anybody for giving scholarships to anything, as long as just my personal opinion. If it's if it's for something positive, right? I'm not. I don't believe in, you know, supporting things that are hateful, right? And putting people at risk where they are, you know, they're not going to be good citizens, right? But, you know, I think. Go ahead. I've got, you kind of brought up two things, and we've we've brought up this in the podcast before, but one is, I think, you know, I don't, like, the disparities between white kids getting scholarships Mm -hmm. and black and brown kids not getting scholarships, I think you have to come up with an idea in your head of why those disparities exist Mm -hmm. and to me i'm gonna always simplify it to you either have to think they're not smart enough to get the scholarship or they don't work hard enough or you have to think that the system that's giving the scholarships is not equal which brings me to my next part is like even when you talked about integrating schools i think what's interesting about that is i think a lot for a lot of white people even myself i just imagine like the students aren't racist so I, I always picture in my head all the white students, all the black and brown students aren't racist. Um, and like almost like nobody's racist in the in the whole process. But I think what we have to assume is like we kind of give a free pass for all the teachers and administrators at these schools that did that were integrated that, again, they are not this neutral system like the, our whole like society was systemically racist and we can't just think that our school principals, administrators, mm-hmm. teachers that are like some of the most important careers mm-hmm. in our country, like we can't just assume that they're outside of this bubble mm-hmm. that doesn't have, you know, racial biases mm-hmm. towards students. So I, I think it's just important to remember that no one's free of this um mm-hmm. Well, and we've seen that in Denton. I mean, Denton has Robert E. Lee um, Elementary School, one. Two, Denton has a very sordid history with racism. Um, But also, like, there was a a teacher or principal at an elementary school that was found out to be have been in the alt-right and wrote a book. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Remember that? Mm -hmm. About the alt-right. And Mm -hmm. it went under the radar for so long. Mm And he had this successful book, and he didn't get called on it until, like, ap- way after the book mm-hmm. was written. We've had a principal at Denton High School where my sons attend um, that used the N-word, and it was caught on um, film. I mean, we, mm-hmm. as, a, as a black community, like, we we know and feel those disparities. Um, we have disparities um, in, ha- in, in the uh, school-to-prison uh, pipeline. I've seen that with three with my three sons. Um, my middle son, he exceeds academically, um, but I had to push for him to be a part of the junior um, honor society at the middle school that he attended. And I had to ask, like, mm-hmm. hey, my son, you know, is in Expo, which is the Gifted Talented program. He has perfect conduct and straight A's in all honors classes. Is there a process? Do y'all have a junior? Do y'all have an honor society? Yes, three months. 
it took for the teacher to respond to me and I had to get another teacher involved and then three more months nothing like he was like your son seems great and I'm gonna look into this and nothing and then one day I, my, I found out that he just kind of slid him into the organization I, it was just the most it was different from my experience at, mm-hmm. at an African-American middle school mm-hmm. where it was like, hey, you got these grades. You're a great student. You're in an honor society. And my son was the only black student, the only black, bl- the only black male, which I think is so interesting in how he was, you know. And so academic excellence is something that we have to foster with mm-hmm. our kids because a lot of times they're not even acknowledged within the school systems. They get, you know, they get kind of just shoved down. Um, because it's almost like an offense sometimes to white teachers and administrators that a black child could be smart. And I, there are so many stories where black mm-hmm. students will say, you know, and from your generation, especially mm-hmm. where it's like, well, you'll, you can never be X, Y, Z because you're a Negro, mm-hmm. because you're black. And I'm like, like we were talking about before the podcast, um, before we started filming, is like, you know, all these people that have lynched mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. and, you know, committed uh, racial hate crimes mm-hmm. from the 40s, 50s, 60s mm-hmm. that are still alive, that they're, that, that have never been brought to, to justice and they've taught their children hate. And yeah, they inf- hatred infiltrates every aspect of our society, mm-hmm. especially education. Mm-hmm. So. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, yeah, but but I think, you know, to get back to, um, well, continue your thought, but also to um, talk a little bit about what Brad asked. I, I think that's really an important question, right, to to find out why these things exist. Yeah. But I think what, what we found, and I think statistics will show this to be true, it really starts in the home. Yeah. You know, and so... Um, we don't start off racist. In fact, you know, one of the things that I really want people to think about, the, the definition of racism is has been misused. People are misinformed about racism because most people don't really know what racism is. All right. Okay. So racism is the exclusion of a race or group of people from the mainstream of society. Definition, right? <laughs> but most people, they call each other racist, but they're not. So in America, uh, I can't, as a black person, I cannot be racist. I can be prejudiced. Right. Because I can't exclude people from the mainstream of society. Exactly. So I think what people have to, and we talk about that really at the festival too, so people have to figure out where their power exists. So if you know that I have, uh, I was in a foreign country once, a guy in South America, and some of my friends, we were there for like a Peace Corps program, and they were white, right? Well, the little kids that were there wanted to touch them, wanted to rub their hair, wanted to, you know, just just feel them, right? And so it was really offensive to my friends. And they said, why, did they, why are they doing that? I said, well, we go back to America. That's exactly what happens to me. And they said, oh, right. yeah. I said, but what, what happens is you're not in the majority here, right? 
And he said, yeah, you feel so comfortable. And I said, of course, I'm with my people, right? <laughs> I'm, you know, because the country was 49% black, uh, 51% East Indian, right? So I think that we really have to understand what racism really is. And so uh, another data point is that only one and a half percent of all businesses in the United States are black owned. Mm -hmm. The population of, of black people is 14 percent. Mm -hmm. But you only have a one and a half percent business owners. And most of those are beauty salons, barbershops, funeral parlors, restaurants, you know, barbecue places, right? And so what can you, if you think about it, what can you buy with one and a half percent ownership? You can't, you can't buy a, a John Brown thing, to be honest with you. You really can't, right? So you got to really think about that. And when you say someone is racist, you got to say, well, do they have the power to exclude me from something, right? Well, the answer is, if you're talking to most black and brown and Asian communities, the answer is no. No. You, you, you don't have that ability, right? Yep. So, so oh, if I can just jump in with uh, just kind of like a little walkthrough, uh, real brief walkthrough, some of the, the history of exclusion of black people from education. I think it's like maybe helpful for the listeners um, bringing that into the conversation. So all, going all the way back to the slavery era, Black people were uh, forbidden in all the slave states. Oh, yeah. Uh, black people were forbidden from getting an education, from learning to read and write. Mm -hmm. And part of that was because for the white, uh, the, the idea of white supremacy hinged on uh, this inferiority of black people. Mm -hmm. And so white people knew, like, the only way we are justified in enslaving all of these people is because we believe we're better. Mm -hmm. And, like, it was this, like, they had to make black people less than fully human in order to have, to get their conscience to work and allow them to do what they did. And so then they, they forbid black people from getting education mm -hmm. and uh, protected their ignorance. But then... The very fact that the white people were forbidding black people from learning to read and write proves that the black people were able to mm -hmm. and proves that they wanted to. Mm -hmm. So it's not even a, really a good justification of white supremacy, but that's what they did. Mm -hmm. And then after slavery ended, the process just continued. Like, mm -hmm. white supremacy did not end when slavery mm -hmm. ended. So white people all through Jim Crow put up all kinds of obstacles mm -hmm. to black education. Mm -hmm. To where, uh, just, just like one snapshot, um, uh, just to give you guys, the audience, an idea of what this looked like. Um, in Alabama, in the 1930s, the total salaries of teachers instructing 8,500 black children was 8,000. The total budget for 2,000 white children, so a quarter of the population, um, like the, the, white, the white kids were only a quarter as many, and their budget was 60000 mm -hmm. instead of 8000 So, like, the per-student funding for white kids to get educated was, was just astronomically higher. Um, black teachers were paid generally between somewhere 30 to 40% as much as white teachers. Um, and so, like, the, the history through Jim Crow is just, like, a massive underfunding of black education. They also shortened the, the, the school year for black kids because they wanted to um, just have them work in the fields longer. So the black school year um, at these segregated schools would only go for six months. And then there's like uh, the quotes, uh, Alabama state legislator uh, J.L.M. Curry said, education would spoil a good plow hand. 
and you said that to the Alabama General Assembly. Wow. It's just this idea of uh, like the white supremacy, uh, like white people all throughout that era of history. Uh, not only didn't see the potential of black people to contribute to society by becoming educated and actualizing their full potential, but they deliberately tried to suppress that mm -hmm. in order to justify white supremacy and in order to uh, just stay in control of society. Um, and then moving like into the present, uh, like segregation of schools, uh, you know, as like you said you were at a school that was segregated and I assume that was after Brown versus Board. Brown versus mm -hmm. Board didn't really end segregation. It just, mm -hmm. uh, like, honest, mm -hmm. it wasn't really fully enforced um, to where it just kind of faded out slowly. Um, and then there's still today a massive funding disparity between mm -hmm. schools that are predominantly black and schools that are predominantly white. And white families have, uh, on average, 10 times the wealth of black families. Mm -hmm. So when you're speaking of the need for scholarships, um, like there's just a greater financial need mm -hmm. for black families. Um, also, I think uh, on the the idea of just implicit bias w that Brad, you were getting into, uh, there's, uh, I've heard that three to four times as many black children receive detention as white children. So like even just like oh, starting at the very early age, um, like black behavior like when when black kids are acting up it's not seen the same way yeah. as when white kids act up even if they do the exact same behaviors there's just this implicit bias where where teachers will treat it differently or interpret it differently and that starting at like elementary age just continues all the way up through and um and just the one other anecdote i and we're doing research for uh future episode on Malcolm X and I just think Malcolm X he was a top performer in when he was in middle school and um, uh, up into high school he was like at the top of his class and then he had one of his favorite teachers asked him one day what he wanted to do what he wanted to become and he said he wanted to be a lawyer and the teacher just kind of laughed at it and said you have to be realistic because you're because uh, you're a Negro is what yeah. he said mm -hmm. um, and Malcolm X was so like knocked off of like he 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 basically that kind of sent his life into a spiral for the next decade and eventually he went to prison and got got through it and like got an education but he basically gave up on the whole education system because of that single comment um and and that is i mean multiplied a uh, million times over uh, like the things that african americans face in the country as obstacles to education so i think with all that history and context now today for you to be doing something that's pushing back against all of that and and starting to like uh bring equality and i think there it, it's only ignorance for white people who say like you're you're increasing inequality by making giving black people an advantage it's just like the only way you can think that is by being ignorant to the history and how we got here and what the picture is today yeah yeah and i think some of that really has i mean those gary those are really good good thoughts because part of it is the, the, the primary reason that the festival exists is really to do two things is really to share black culture and uh, build community, right? Because what we find is that people tend to stay in their own spaces, right? So if I'm black, I stay in a black space. If I'm white, I stay in a white space. Hispanic, blah, blah, blah. Everybody stays in their space. And what 
So about 20 to 22% of our audience is non-black. So we have really a lot of avenues for people just to come and talk, right, and share. And what I find is that when you put a name to a face, then you have an ability to begin to communicate. But most of us tend to look over the fence and say, well, wonder what those people are doing, right? And they become they. But all of a sudden you say, oh, it's Gary now. So then Gary's talking to Harry, Harry's talking to Brad, Brad's talking to Katina. Now we have a relationship. So what usually happens is people throw things over the fence, right? And they never talk to people. And so I think that's really why you see racism um, so prevalent in, in really throughout the world, right? Everything is just based on race, right? Uh, in other countries, it's different things. They have caste systems, right? But it's all meant to exclude, you know, a group of people. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit more about the film festival. Um, how you guys got started, how, you know, the vision and sure. just how, how you got started and those, you know, beginning years, first year versus now and yeah. what your goals are and what your um, vision is for next year and some of the hurdles that mm-hmm. COVID-19 has presented. And, okay. yeah. yeah, so um, good question. So the, the film festival was started. My wife and I attended the film festival. And while we were there, um, I said, wow, um, you know, we were looking for ways to raise money. As I said earlier, is that a number of people uh, were dying off, right? And so I talked to the board about the fact that, you know, we needed to do something to kind of raise money. And um, so I told them I thought the film festival idea would be good. Uh, They looked at me and said, okay, we don't understand this, but, you know, we'll let you try. So uh, we began the first year we had uh, in a day and a half 800 attendees. Next year we blew up. We tripled in size. We went to over 2,400 um, and Denton only has an 8% black population, right? Mm-hmm. But we started, as Katina said earlier, people from all over the uh, Metroplex uh, started attending, right? Mm-hmm. Because we had just invitational films. And so fast forward that uh, to last year, um, we moved from a day and a half. We're only six years old. We're going into our seventh year. We had 8,900 attendees. Uh, we were in 12 venues. People from all over the world came. Uh, we're one of the largest uh, black film festivals in the country. Yeah. And I say that we are really a cross between South by Southwest and Sundance, right? So we're, we're moving toward uh, uh, incubation uh, for filmmakers, but also we're a multidisciplinary platform in that we offer not only film, that's our anchor, but we have spoken word, comedy, really a lot of things that are that are uh, prevalent with black culture, right? Mm-hmm. And so we just try to share those things in a very positive way yeah. with the community. Katina does some things with us uh, vocally uh, <laughs> and in comedy. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we're really important. Her, her children have helped. Um, son has helped. I mean, um, uh, husband has helped. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do the comedy for us. So it's, it's really been a great experience, I think, for people to just kind of enjoy it for five days. This year, this year, we're going to do a hybrid festival, so we'll do something in person, hopefully do uh, quite a bit virtually because of uh, COVID-19. Yeah. And so the goal really is to, uh, I, I think, do some amazing things. We're, we're going to have a couple things that we are trying out uh, in dance and then also poetry, not just spoken word, but yeah. traditional poetry. And then we move to year-round programming 
which yeah. is really kind of helping us. Well, and what's so interesting about the Den Black Film Festival is that uh, there is so much inclusion. Mm -hmm. uh, many of the filmmakers, some of the filmmakers are white. Um, Asian, Asian Latino, I mean, yeah. yeah, and it's just been amazing to see um, a black film festival um, basically display what any film festival, you know, or mm -hmm. any organization that's, you know, just the inclusion that's there and really giving a voice to voices that are not, that have been some of the voices that have been rejected by the mainstream, giving people a platform and a place um, to exercise their gifts. It's been amazing. So talk about some of the artists and the filmmakers that, um, that have come. Yeah, so, so we have uh, filmmakers uh, that are uh, world-renowned. Last year we had Jasmia Horn, yes. who's a two-time Grammy-nominated uh, jazz vocalist and performer. Uh, the year before that we had Kirk Whalen, Yes. And uh, Kirk Whalem is uh, arguably one of the top jazz saxophone players in the world. From uh, Memphis, Tennessee. That's right, from M Memphis. <laughs> so uh, we, we've had him. Uh, this year uh, we had in our offseason Nikki Finney, who is a, uh, a poet laureate. Um, so we had her. Uh, we just had another, um, and we hope to have him not this year at the festival, but maybe the coming year. Um, Chester Higgins, yeah. who is a photojournalist, yeah. uh, who uh, did a lot of work with uh, uh, the New York Times, uh, Look Magazine before it went under, uh, several things. So, um, And then from a filmmaker perspective, we just have a number of talented filmmakers from all over the world, uh, primarily independent filmmakers. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, we're moving more toward... Uh, uh, as I said, things in with other creatives. We're hoping to do some things. We also have uh, things in visual arts. So uh, Annette Lawrence mm -hmm. uh, is a UNT. Uh, well, she was a UNT professor. She just graduated. I mean, she just retired, and she's doing her own own thing. But uh, she's really phenomenal. She's uh, known internationally. Mm -hmm. So we're really uh, uh, happy to have her as our director of visual arts. Wow. Uh, but she's here, and then so we're going to have two great um, art showcases this year at the festival. And then a lot of music, uh, a lot of film, uh, and the Tech Expo is going to be pretty amazing this year. Yeah, we've had artists from The Voice. Um, we've had, you know, some of the yeah. more mainstream um, black artists. Tommy from the Martin Lawrence, Lawrence Show. Yeah, about Tommy, uh, yeah. Rest in peace. We've had Mama from Soul Food, the movie, which yeah, is Emma like P. a Hall. Yeah, I'm sorry. You know, I'm saying the characters' names. But um, people know, you know, Mama from Soul Food. Like, she is, uh, the, you know, some of these movies that are cult classics with, within the African-American community. And then um, the mom from Family Matters. She was uh, at, yes. yeah, I mean, yes. we've had, it's amazing to see celebrities that for us, for our community that are so, they're big to us. You know, they're, mm -hmm. you know, they're in some of our favorite movies and shows and they've been right there, you know, shoulder to shoulder with us at the film festival in little old Denton. It's been amazing. Yeah. So your memory is much better than mine. <laughs> I forgot about all this. Yeah. But it's, it's been really phenomenal to get the entertainers and uh, filmmakers at the festival, and we're hoping to continue to grow that. Yeah. So, 
So we're going to uh, put links to um, information about the festival and about the Scholarship Foundation um, on the show notes for the episode, and also uh, we'll send some of those out through social media. Good. I just want to encourage the audience to uh, to jump in to uh, support these initiatives. Um, we have raised through uh, Patreon and uh, through some outside donations. We've raised uh, $2,000 that we're going to give to the Scholarship Foundation. Um, so we're going to get you that money today. Oh, man. Um, and then also just want to encourage uh, the audience, anyone who uh, maybe you haven't jumped onto Patreon, but maybe just hearing this and hearing the need for scholarships, um, if you want to give, then we'd encourage you to find that link through the show notes. Um, and let's just rally around this cause and be generous and help students uh, become who God made them to be. Um, especially, I mean, I think just how critical of a, of a point in life it is, a student on the brink of going to college, and to, to say, like, you, we believe in you, and you can do this, and, yeah. and you can get on this whole trajectory and path towards, um, towards building up the world around you and making it better. Um, so we want to rally around that. Um, yeah, so I just want to say one thing. If I would just encourage all of you to go find someone that you don't know of a different ethnic background and just have a conversation. Um, I would encourage you to come to the film festival uh, it will be virtual a lot of it so you'll be able to see some things see some things in the confines of your own home or your own space but but seriously if you want the world to change just go meet different people and get to know them and then you'll find out that we just have a lot in common right mm -hmm. but we have so many barriers and obstacles that we think prevent us from seeing each other yeah Thanks for listening to this episode. If you're looking for more information on what we discuss, take a look at the show notes or go to blackhistoryforwhitepeople.com. If you'd like to play a supportive role in the podcast and be able to vote for future topics, check out some behind-the-scenes video footage from us and even get a chance at getting a custom Black History for White People coffee mug, check us out on patreon.com backslash blackhistoryforwhitepeople. All of the money that you give in the next 10 episodes will all go to The Witness. The Witness exists to make sure black Christians are equipped to flourish through education and philanthropic endeavors to meet the modern challenges of black Christians today. On our next episode, we will be discussing Malcolm X. We'll leave you with this quote from Nikki Giovanni. It is not who you attend school with, but who controls the school you attend. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.